0: But I ask you tonight to please open your Bibles to the book of First Chronicles in the Old Testament, First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, and then you come to First Chronicles, and if you would turn to chapter thirteen, please. First Chronicles, chapter thirteen. Let's see. I preached uh, twice Sunday morning, Sunday night with three Mondays, four Tuesdays, five. Are you impressed? I can count all the way up to six. Tonight's my sixth time to preach. And I've enjoyed thoroughly being here. The only thing, um, I've told several people since I've been here, I thoroughly enjoy getting to travel and preach. I've been in the ministry 49 years. I've been uh, at the First Baptist Church of Hammond 46 of those years. But only the last 10 or 15 years or so have I traveled pretty extensively like I do now almost every week. I've always traveled a little off and on a few times a year, but the last 15 years or so, uh, almost every week of the year. And I just love getting to do it, especially when I get to come and preach for somewhere where some of our graduates are there. And uh, to have your pastor and his wife here as graduates of our college, it's just been great to be here this week. The only thing I don't like about these meetings <laughs> is they end so quick. You know, I just got here Saturday and, I, and, and I'm done now tonight. But I will admit... I am excited about getting to go home tomorrow morning and uh, see my wife tomorrow. She's going to meet me at the airport tomorrow afternoon, so I'm looking forward uh, to that. Most of the messages I've preached this week, if I can remember right, I think I've uh, maybe moved around a little bit, walked back and forth across the pulpit a time or the platform a time or two, but I don't think I'll do much, if any of that tonight. I think tonight I'll stay right here behind the pulpit. I'm fairly sure I will and uh a uh, c- couple of my messages I was pretty familiar with them and and I preached most of the message standing over here or over there and hardly looked at my notes but tonight I think I'm going to be stuck to my notes pretty pretty much so tonight so tonight's message might come out just a little bit different than we have up till now but I believe this is what the Lord would have for us I I, I hope it is I, I, I pray it is I, I think it is and so we're going to uh, begin in a moment in the book of 1 Chronicles Chapter 13. But before we do that, let me just say one more thing. Thank you to everyone who had a part in making all this possible. Uh, Those that uh, helped me arrange my flights and my hotels and provided my meals and they put some nice things in my room, some fruit and drinks and different things and I appreciate that. And those that had to clean the building a couple of extra times and those who had to stay late and lock the doors and come early and turn them back on and run the PA and And just all the different things that that you had to do to make it possible for us to have this meeting. I want to thank all of you, especially you ladies who have worked in the nursery. (laughs) We really thank you for for what you've done to to make it possible for us to have the services. So we're very grateful for that. God uh, told Moses to build the tabernacle. Most of you are familiar with that story. When Moses was up on the mountain, God came to him and told him to build the tabernacle. And God told him how big to build it. Told him how long, how wide, how tall. Even told him what kind of material to use. Told him what color it should be. Even told him what furniture to put in the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is like a portable church. It's a big tent. And they moved it from place to place as they were traveling. And God told them, God even told Moses what kind of furniture to put in the tabernacle. And one of those pieces of furniture that was in the tabernacle, it was called the Ark of the Covenant. That's what that was. It was just a little piece of furniture. It doesn't really matter what it looked like. But, uh, that piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, was there to represent the presence of God. Now, that uh, particular piece of furniture was not the presence of God but it represented the presence of God. Just like uh, uh, a baptism, it doesn't save us, but it represents the fact that we have been saved. Uh, baptism has, doesn't do anything to get rid of our sins or anything else, but it represents the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's what baptism pictures. It, it represents that. Uh, like the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper doesn't save us, but the Lord's Supper represents the fact that uh, Jesus sacrificed His body and His blood so that we could be saved. Okay, I'll I'll illustrate it this way. This ring that I wear here on my finger, that little ring right there represents the fact that I love my wife. Now, that little piece of metal right there, it doesn't love my wife, (laughs) but it represents the fact that I love my wife. And that little piece of... Metal right there has become very important to me. I've worn that same piece of metal for 44 years now. And, you know, that has become very important to me. And, and I've worn it uh, gladly. Oh, I have had to take it off a time or two because I had a rash on my hand or maybe I uh, had, was going to surgery or something. But, you know, for 44 years, I've known exactly where that piece of metal was. Now, it might not have been on that finger every minute, but I knew exactly where it was. Can you imagine how my wife would feel if she noticed one day that ring wasn't on my finger? And she said, uh, where's your wedding band? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's laying around here somewhere. <laughs> I'll probably stumble across it eventually. If I do, I'll put it back on. Can you imagine how my wife felt? Well, as, as important as the Ark of the Covenant was representing the presence of God, the nation of Israel actually lost it. And I don't mean just lost it in a battle. They did that a time or two. The enemy came, attacked, and... and, and uh, Plundered the country and took the ark of the covenant away from them and stole it. That happened. A time. But I mean, worse than that, they just lost it. Uh, one of the times that it happened is when Saul was the king. While Saul was the king, they misplaced the ark of the covenant. They didn't know where it was. And then David became the king after Saul. And right there's where we pick up the story. Look in Acts. I said chapter 13, but if you would go back up to chapter 12, verse 38. Look at verse 38 in chapter 12, and it says, "...all these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over Israel. And all the rest also of Israel will have one heart to make David the king." So they anointed David to be the king in verse 38. Now skip down to chapter 13, if you would, please. And notice that chapter 13 begins with the word, "...and." So the very next thing David did after he was anointed king, notice what he did, verse 1, "...and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto all uh, unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel." and with them also to the priests and the Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us and let us bring again the ark of our God, or the ark of the covenant of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. They had misplaced it. They didn't didn't know where it was during the days of Saul. So David... Is anointed king, and I'm going to violate what I just said. I'm going to leave the pulpit a moment here. Uh, but uh, David uh, was anointed king. And the very first thing he did, he said, I'm going to meet with the, all the captains of the thousands and get them on board. Tell them what I want to do. Tell them my plan about bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. And he met with them and got them on board. Then he met with the captains of the hundreds, a bigger crowd, and he got them on board. Then he sent word out all over the nation that he was going to have a big assembly and explained to everybody what he wanted to do. And so he did. He had that assembly and he explained to everyone that we're going to have a special ceremony on a special occasion. And we'll get to that in a minute. And I'm going to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. And he got everybody on board to, 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 to want to do this big special uh, project. So now, if you would, turn quickly to chapter 15. Chapter 15, we're going to begin again with verse 1. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 1 says, "...and David made him houses in the city of David." Now, would you look at me just for a moment? Sometimes in the Bible, when the phrase city of David, is you see it in the Bible, it's referring to Bethlehem, where David was born, the city of David. Other times, when the... The phrase city of David appears in the Bible. It's referring to the city of Jerusalem where David reigned as the king. But in some cases, like in this case, it's referring to a particular neighborhood inside the city of Jerusalem where David's palace was. I've actually been there. I mentioned the other day I've been to Israel five times. I'm going again... uh, uh, about a year from now, just a little over a year from now, we're going to get another group together and go. But when we go, one of the things we see is David's palace. They have actually found it. The walls are not still there, of course, but you can tell where the foundation was, and some of the uh, uh, some of the caverns and tunnels and so forth underneath the palace are still there. And I've been there twice. Uh, out of the five times I've been to Israel, I've been there to David's palace twice. And and in this neighborhood where his Palace was, that that was referred to as the city of David. Sometimes that's what it's referring to here. So let's continue reading. verse uh, Chapter 15, verse 1, And David made him houses in the city of David. In other words, he was building some houses around his palace for his servants, his family members, and so forth. And prepared a place for the ark of God, or the ark of the covenant of God, and pitched for it a tent. So what it's saying is, while David was building the houses around his palace for his servants and family, he prepared one special spot and put a tent there. Remember I said the tabernacle was like a big portable tent, big portable church, and so a little bit smaller tent than the original tabernacle, he placed it there near his palace because he was getting ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant back and put it in that tent. Alright, now if you would, go to chapter 16. Chapter 16, we're going to look, begin with verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1 says So they brought the ark of God, or the ark of the covenant of God, and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt uh, sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And how did he bless them? Well, verse 3 tells us. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh, or we would say meat, a good piece of meat, and a flagon of wine. And if you look at me just for a second... I may have said this earlier this week, I don't remember, I speak so many places, I'm sorry, I don't remember where all I said what, but the word wine in the Bible has uh, two different meanings. It can refer to an alcoholic beverage, like you and I use the word wine today, or it can, it can refer to grape juice. You know, just like we use the word drink. Like if, if, if all of us got on a bus tonight and took off down the highway uh, to go on some trip, and somebody said, let's stop at the next exit and get some drinks. Well, I hope that means water and tea and coffee and Dr. Pepper and, 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 and root beer and, and, uh, and, and orange juice and grape juice. But let's suppose a, I'm going to say motorcycle gang, and I have nothing against motorcycles, don't take this wrong, but, but a certain type of motorcycle gang comes down the same highway behind us, and one of them gets on his little microphone, and he says to the rest of the guys in the group, hey, let's get off at the next exit and get some drinks at Joe's place. Well, that has a different meaning than the way we did, we meant it, and so in the Bible it's that way, and you just have to put it in context to know which one it means. And so what David was doing here was he was having this big ceremony to bring back the Ark of the Covenant and rededicate it and put it back in the tent, or put it back in a tent, and he knew this crowd was going to come from all over the country, so he prepared something for them to eat he prepared them a loaf of bread he prepared them a piece of meat and he prepared them a, a container full of grape juice and he gave everybody there something to eat and to drink now if you would turn uh, look down to uh, chapter I'm sorry to verse 7 i'm still in chapter 16 and look at verse 7 if you would then on that day that day that they had that big ceremony David delivered first this psalm or we might say song to thank the Lord uh, into the hand of Asaph, he was the choir leader, and his brethren. And the song said this, verse 8, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people, sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wondrous works. And that song that David wrote for that particular occasion continues all the way down through this chapter to verse 36. So if you look at verse 36, David's song ends with these words in verse 36, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. Period. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Verse 37, And he left there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, Asaph, the choir leader, and his brethren... To minister before the ark continually, as every day uh, uh, as every day's work required. All right, would you look at me for a second? So they had the big ceremony. David passed out something to eat and drink. At the end of the cere- uh, during the ceremony, he presented a brand new song that he wrote just for that occasion. I have a daughter who writes music, and recently I was preaching somewhere, and she was there, and she was going to sing, and I didn't know it. She had written a brand new song. It was a wonderful thing to get to hear her sing. And, and can you imagine? It was a great occasion, you know, that having this big ceremony, and the king has written a brand new song just for this. And they sing that song, and at the end of the ceremony. David turns to Asaph, the choir leader, and his brethren, the the team of men who worked with him, and he said, now some of you need to stay here with the ark. You know, somebody had to guard it. It was very valuable. You, You know, the enemy had come and taken it away from them two or three times, and somebody had to polish it, and somebody had to sweep the floor, and somebody had to lock the door every night uh, or latch the tent door and somebody had to open it back up the next morning and and they wanted to have a certain ambiance there in the tent you know, like when you go to a to a grocery store they're playing a certain kind of music and you go to a restaurant they're playing a certain kind of music and, and and so they wanted to have a certain ambiance there and so some of the men that were in the choir were going to stay there and sing all day long as people came through to visit Visit the ark. And so each one was given a job to do. All right? In verses, uh, we won't take time to read it, but in verses 38 through 42, it lists all those different jobs that the different people had. Now we come to verse 43. And this is our text verse. This is the verse we're going to look at tonight. Verse 43 says, "...and all the people departed every man to his house." Would you look at me just for a moment before we read the rest of the verse? David has become the king. The very first thing he did was get everybody on board and say we're going to have a big ceremony and bring back the Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God. He put a tent in place. He got the people together. He fed them. He wrote a song. They had the ceremony. He assigned everybody a job. And now the ceremony's over. And so, everybody went home. That's what you do. When church is done, you go home. You know, when, 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 when the service is ending, you don't stay here all night. You get in your car and you go home. And the Bible said when the ceremony ended, everybody went home. But notice the next phrase. Look back at verse 43. And all the people departed, every man to his house. And David returned to bless his house. Everybody else just went home. But David was different. He didn't just go home when the service was over. He went home to bless his house. You know, after you have been blessed at the house of God, you should bless your house for God. At church, we receive strength. At home, you should give strength. At church, we are encouraged. At home, you should encourage. At church, we are given hope. At home, you should give hope. At uh, church, we get help. At home, you should provide help. At church, we're taught the Word of God. At home, you should teach the Word of God. At church, we have friends. At home, you should be a friend. At church, we are loved. At home- You should love. At church, we are blessed. At home, you should bless. David returned to bless his house. Not just to have a place to eat. Not just to have a place to sleep. Not just a place to be warm and safe and dry and watch a little TV and listen to a little music. No, David returned to bless his house, not just to be in it. Now, somebody may ask, well, Brother Young, how can I bless my house? Well, you could start off by speaking kindly to everybody in your house. How can I bless my house? Well, you could start off by dressing appropriately in your house. Uh, well, how can I bless my house? Well, you could start off by having the right kind of music in your house. Well, Brother Young, how can I bless my house? Well, you could start off by reading this book right here, uh, and teaching this book, and memorizing this book, and talking about this book. Hey, do you ever talk about the Bible at your house? I know we talk about it at church, but do you ever talk about it at house? Not long ago, my wife and I were reading supper one night. We're an empty nest couple now, you know, and so we were having a typical evening supper time couple you know married couple conversation I said something about uh, I did I conducted an administrative meeting to college today, and she said, uh, uh, "You know, I cleaned this room today." And I, I said, "I hired this employee today." And she said, "I mopped this floor today." And, and I said, "I fired this employee today." And she said, uh, uh, "You know, I took the garbage out today." And, and we just, just a typical, you know, we just having, and just all of a sudden it just came out. I didn't intend to say it, but I just said, "Boy, you know, I really liked what David said to Saul this morning." And my wife looked at me with a puzzled look for a second, and then she got a grin and a little sparkle in her eyes. She said, Ray, I hate to tell you this, but that didn't really happen this morning. (laughs) And I don't know why, but I got a tear in my eye and a lump in my throat as I said, you know, sweetheart, sometimes it seems like it did because I just live with those guys. You ever just talk about God in your house? You ever talk about the Bible in your house? How can I bless my house? Well, you could start off by having only the appropriate type of entertainment in your house. You know, we don't need very much entertainment that came from Hollywood. You know, we don't need very much entertainment that came from Nashville. You know, we don't need the latest gory video game that that just came out. Whatever happened to just plain old board games and bike rides and picnics and uh, reading out loud to the family and learning how to bake and popping popcorn and making hot chocolate? You say, well, how can I bless my house? Well, uh, how about uh, cleaning your house? Now, by the way, let me say, it's not just the mother's job to do all of that. It's not just the wife's job to do it. It's everybody's job. But don't expect God to bless your house until you clean your house. You say, how can I bless my house? Well, you could bless it by praying in it. You could bless it by praying for it. You could bless it by praying with your house or with your family. How can I bless my house? Well, you could bless it by having the right kind of friends in your house. Would you go back to chapter 16 and look again at verse 43. In chapter 16, I'm looking at verse 43 and it says, And all the people departed every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house, verse 1, chapter 17. Now it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet there in his house, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains, or in a tent. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Can I ask you this question tonight? Do your friends that you have in your house encourage you to do what the Lord wants you to do? When David felt like there was something God wanted him to do, the friend that he had in his house encouraged him to do it. Hey, do your friends encourage you to listen to the right kind of music or the wrong kind of music? Do your friends encourage you to watch the right kind of things on television if there is much to watch that's right? Uh, uh, Or do they encourage you to watch the wrong kind of things on television? Hey, are you more likely to dress appropriately or inappropriately when your friends are in your house? Are you more likely to pray or less likely to pray When your friends are in your house, are you more likely to read your Bible or less likely to read your Bible? Hey, are you more likely to use the right kind of language or the wrong kind of language based on the friends that you have in your house? When you leave church, do you bless your house? I mean, does your spirit bless your house when you get home at night? Do your words bless your house? Does your body language bless your house? How about your reactions? How about your conversations? Are more of your conversations negative or positive? Are more of your conversations critical or complimentary? Does your hospitality bless your house? Does your attire bless your house? I've been married 44 years I know she's not here tonight, but if you get a chance someday, ask my wife how many times in 44 years she's found me sitting on the couch barefooted with an old dirty t-shirt on. I just believe you ought to be appropriate in your house also. I don't think a house is the place where you go to be a slob. I don't think a house is a place where you go to be rude. I don't think a house is a place where you go to to let it all hang out and, well, I've had a rough day and so I'm just going to tell you how I feel. No, I think you ought to save your best for your own house. I think you ought to try to... Bless your house. You know, we're good about blessing other people's houses. (laughs) The pastor and I today went soul winning. And we were trying our best to be a blessing to some people. And at least one man came out on the porch and talked to us at length and acted like he was very encouraged that your pastor was there to see him. And your pastor and that man made connected well. And and he seemed blessed by it and and invited the pastor to come back and see him again later. Uh, You know, it's easy to bless somebody else's house. But do you ever bless your own house. Do you bless your house by your obedience? John R. Rice, a a well-known preacher, used to say, obedience is immediate obedience, or it's not obedience at all. You know, children and teenagers, if your parents tell you to do something and you understand what they wanted, and you understand when they wanted it, and they have to come back a second time and tell you again to do the same thing, that's not obedience. That's controlled rebellion. And, and, and uh, your obedience could bless your house. Well, you say, I'm asking God to bless my house, yeah, as if it's God's fault that that window hasn't been repaired yet. Yeah, as if it's God's fault your grass needs to be mowed. Yeah, if its I know what somebody's thinking right now. Brother Young, why don't you get back to the Bible? <laughs> why don't you just teach us the Bible? <laughs> I am teaching you the Bible. Tonight, yeah, I, I am teaching you some things that, that would help you to put into practice what the Bible teaches us. You know, we pray, God bless my house, You know, but it's not God's fault that the snow's still there a week later in the driveway it's not god's fault that last leaves, last year's fall leaves are still in the in the yard and now the new ones are on top of it you say well uh uh why don't why don't you bless your house while you're waiting for god to bless your house david returned to bless his house by the way david blessed his house even though he knew there was opposition at home would you go back to chapter 15 And would you look at verse uh, verse 29. Chapter 15, verse 29, here's what it says. And it came to pass, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, that was David's wife, looking out at a window, saw King David dancing and playing. He was excited that the, the Ark of the Covenant was back. And he was dancing around and praising the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So David, you remember he was anointed to be the king when he was 17 years of age? And now that he's finally the king, he's 40 years of age. Can you imagine how many times during all those years that Saul was the king? And David knew, one of these days, I'm going to be the king. Can you imagine how many times he thought, I wonder where the Ark of the Covenant is. I wonder why we don't ever inquire of the Lord at the Ark of the Covenant anymore. I wonder how many times David thought in his mind, boy, someday when I'm the king, I'm going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back. The very first thing he did, he knew all those years that he was going to be the king someday, and he had time to plan what he wanted to do. And the very first thing he did was he had a, a a program that he was ready to put in place to get everybody ready and prepare this occasion, have a big ceremony, bring back the Ark of the Covenant. He's standing in the middle of the street. Here it comes after all this time, all these years of planning, and he looks up at the window and his wife didn't even come to the ceremony. She's at home looking out the window and she's despising him while she does. Can you tell what mood your spouse is in by the look on their face? But David, at the end of the ceremony that his wife didn't even attend, said, okay, we'll see you later. Everybody can go home now. I'm going to go home and bless out my wife. No, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to go home and bless my house. David was willing to bless his house even though there was opposition in his house. Everyone else just went home. And all the people departed, every man to his house. But David was the rare exception. He left with a plan. He left with a purpose in his heart. He didn't just go home. He didn't just happen to bless his house. He returned To bless his house. That was his purpose for going home. He went home to bless, not to be blessed. He went home to serve, not to be served. He went home to love, not to be loved. He went home to nurture, not to be nurtured. He went home to protect, not to be protected. He went home to understand, not to be understood. David blessed his house. At home, we should use our best manners. Are you pretty polite when you come to church? Do you say, hello, how are you? How was your day? How's things going? How do you feel? Boy, it's a nice looking outfit you got on. Boy, it's a sharp tie. I like that. Do you ladies tell some other lady, I sure like your dress. That really looks nice. Oh, your new hair color just looks great. We use our best manners when we come to church. But how about at home? At home, we should display our best behavior. At home, we should use our best language. At home, we should have our best conversations, our most encouraging conversations. We should uh, listen to our best music. We should uh, give out our best compliments. We should give out the most compliments. We should be the most submissive. We should be the most loving. Hey, look, can I ask you this? Who do you obey better, your parents, young people, or your pastor? And you ought to obey your pastor, but you ought to go home and obey your parents too. Who do you respect more? Your parents or your youth pastor? And you ought to respect your youth pastor, but you ought to go home and respect your parents too. Who do you obey best, young people, uh, teenagers? Your boss at work or your parents at home? And you ought to obey your boss at work, but you ought to go home and obey your parents too. Who do you cooperate with better? Your coach or your parents? And you ought to cooperate with your coach, but you ought to cooperate with your parents too. Who do you obey better, your parents or your teacher? To whom do you show more respect? Your spouse or your boss? And you ought to respect your boss, but you ought to go home and show respect to your spouse also. Who do you treat better? Your family or the church members? Who do you treat better? Your family or the other employees at work? Who do you treat better? Your family or the team members or whatever team you're on? uh Who do you treat better? The family that lives in your house or the guests who visit in your house? David returned to bless his house. Well, Brother Young, you can't expect me to be at my best behavior all the time in my own house. David returned to bless his house. He returned to bless his house, not just to be there. You know, at church we try to be a blessing. At church, we try to help the discouraged, the lonely. We try to help those in our Sunday school class, and those in the junior church, and those who ride the bus, and those in the nursery, and the mothers at the nursery, and those who are backslidden, and those who are visitors, and, and those who are the leaders. Did you know that every did it ever dawn on you that at various times many of those same people need to be blessed in your house? What about the discouraged in your house? What about the backslidden in your house? What about the children in your house, the mother in your house, the father in your house? At church, we try to be a blessing with our smiles and our handshakes. Or well, not anymore. Our knuckle bumps now. But uh, uh, with our kind words and our special music and our treats and our money and our volunteer time and our presence. And, and Okay, did you know that most of all of that would work at home also? Does your presence cheer up your house or does it depress your house? Does your family look forward to you coming home? Or do they dread when you come home? Look with me one more time in chapter 16, verse 2. One more time, chapter 16, verse 2. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He gave them some bread. He gave them some meat. He gave them some grape juice. Can you imagine how much time and effort and planning went into that? There were thousands of people there who had come on a long journey from all over the country, and they were hungry. They needed a steak sandwich. They needed some meat and some bread and some grape juice to drink. And somebody had to be prepared before they got there. Somebody had to be ready for all of that. And a lot of work went into all the effort that it took to to be a blessing to those people at that meeting. And when David, after he had finished all that work and put forth all that effort and got all of that done, then he said, now, I'm going to go home and let my wife uh, rub my feet for a while. I'm going to go home and let my wife massage my shoulders. I'm going to go home and tell my family, leave me alone.' I'm going to sit over here in the corner and, and pout for a while. Uh, leave me alone. I'm going to go in the room and lock the door and watch some television. No, that's not what David did. David went home to bless his house. Can I ask you this tonight? What are you going to do tonight to bless your house? What are you going to do tomorrow to bless your house? What are you going to do this week or this year? to Okay, let's just make it real simple. Let me just ask you. <laughs> what are you going to go home and repair that's been needing it for months? What are you going to go home and clean? How are you going to dress? What are you going to say? Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to compliment? Who are you going to encourage? To whom are you going to be kind? What are you going to give? Your home should be different after this week's of of a revival. No, somebody in your home ought to wonder, (laughs) what happened to him? What happened to her? (laughs) Wow, she's different. He sure is different. Something about this week's revival... Okay, we said we wanted to have a series of revival meetings, and one of the first things the pastor said Sunday morning, or Sunday night, one or the other, I don't remember which, but he said, just having some meetings doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be revived. It has to be in your heart. Okay, we've had the meetings. We started Sunday morning. We're ending tonight. We've had our revival meetings, but is there going to be anything different about your house after these meetings? After this service tonight, there ought to be something different about your house. Something that you, some way you bless your house. David returned to bless his house. David returned to bless his house. David returned to bless his house. That was his purpose for going there. David had a purpose, a cause, and a plan. The question is this do you and I have a cause, a purpose, a plan to bless our house? May I just add this, it's not in the outline, but there's lots of teenagers here tonight. Can I say something to the teenagers here tonight? When I was 15 years of age, nobody in my family had been to church one time in five years. A bus came by my house and picked me up and took me to church. And I got saved at the church. I got baptized. I was called to preach when I was still 15 years of age. In fact, one week after I got saved. And I went home, not immediately, not the next day. It took me a while to grow into this. But I got to the place where I was the one who, as a 15-year-old boy, said to my mom and dad, Would you mind if we turn the television off for a few minutes and read the Bible together? And I read the Bible to my parents. And I was the one who got my younger brother to come to church when, and he got saved. I was the one who got my older brother to come to church and he got assurance of his salvation. I was the one who showed my mother how to be saved and she got saved. Later, uh, uh, my dad heard one of my sermons and he got saved. Even as a teenager who comes from a house where you're the only one that goes to church, you could gradually, eventually make some difference in your home. Anybody who's here tonight could make a difference in your house. I'd like to have a, every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if there's someone here tonight who would say, my house needs to be blessed. <laughs> okay, that's the first step. Who would say tonight, And I realize to some extent it's my responsibility to be the one who tries to bless my house. Now, I understand and and, and I feel a little uncomfortable when I preach this message because I know there are some folks here tonight who maybe at this particular time in your life you live alone. But you know, you could still use your house, your home to be a blessing to some other people by having them into your home. There's one church I speak at every year, and there's a single man, he's a widower, uh, but every year we're at his, his church to preach, he has a big group of us over to eat, and he fixes a meal. And I'm not suggesting that anybody should do that particular thing, but I'm saying even though he lives in a home by himself, he still uses it to be a blessing to someone. Who would say tonight, Brother Young, I want God to use me And I want to bless my house. If David, good night, the king of the country, David, the man who needed to bring revival to the whole country, David, the man who needed to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, David, the man who had to prepare a tent and prepare a service and write a song, and if he could go home and bless his house, I guess I ought to be able to go home and try to bless my house. Who would say tonight, Brother Young, would you pray for me? I want God to bless my house through me. Would you slip your hand up tonight? Would you keep it up for a moment? Thank you. May put it back down? Who else would say quickly, I didn't raise my hand the first time, but I probably should have. Yes, I want God to bless my house through me. Would you let me pray for you? Would you slip your hand up? Would you keep it up for a moment? Thank you. Thank you. May put it back down? Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hands. I thank you for the wonderful privilege I've had to be here this week with these good people, this pastor that loves his people and loves you, and these people that love you, and I I, I thank you for that privilege. I pray tonight, this one last time that we have this invitation, that some of us will come tonight and say, Father, thank you for speaking to me this week. Thank you for what you've already done for me. And now, Father, help me to go home and take part of what I've heard this week and what You've done with me and for me and through me and to me this week, help me to go home and, and use it to be a blessing in my house. With heads bowed and eyes closed, could I ask you to please stand at this time? Whether you raise your hand or not, if it's convenient for you to stand, if you would at this time, in a moment, the pianist is going to begin to play for us. But before she does, let me say, tonight... Is your home worth one more trip to the altar? Is your marriage worth one more trip to the altar? Is the salvation of your mom and dad and brothers and sisters worth one more trip to the altar? And you may be a young person here tonight and you've never been to the altar before. It just seems kind of strange to you. There's nothing spooky about it. All it is 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 in the Bible, God had a... Place he wanted people to come to that place and meet with him there, and in our day and age today, one of those places is what we call the altar, the front of the church, the edge of the platform, the front row, this area up here it just simply it 's nothing spooky about it; it just means i 'm willing to go forward towards God, not only physically walking up there but in my heart I am and i 'm going to do that tonight, and i 'm going to ask God to help me to be a blessing my home. Would you come right now as the piano begins to play?